Welcome to the Everyday Ironman podcast, where we talk to real athletes just like you and me that are working to complete an incredible goal. My name is Mike Bosch, and in this episode, I'm going to share with you my experience this past weekend at Ironman 70.3 Chattanooga. I want to start by saying this was my very first time in Chattanooga, and it is a beautiful city. Everyone that I encountered was really nice. The course itself was great, so if you ever get the chance to visit or race Chattanooga, I highly recommend it. All right, if you listened to the race preview on Friday, you know that I decided to change my travel plans at the last minute, and I definitely had some anxiety over packing my bike. And I had bought a hard shell bike box last year. I knew I wanted to race outside of Texas, and I still have the dream of racing the full in Cozumel. I have to say that it was definitely the right decision. I would not have wanted to drive the 12 hours home on Monday. Let's start the recap on Friday morning. I wanted to get to the airport early because I had read on the internet that American Airlines would need to unpack my bike and that I could offer to help repack it. Even though I had waited at home, I was nervous that it would be over the limit. Under 50 pounds and it was going to be free. Over 50 pounds and it was going to cost me $150 because it would be classed as sports equipment. Now, knowing that I needed to bring tools and that I wasn't able to carry on a pedal wrench onto the plane, I took a few more things out of the bike box to ensure that it made weight, and I put them in a small roll around that I could check for only $40. So right off the bat, I'd saved $110. Everything was going smooth. I met Eric at work at 7, and he dropped me off at the gate by 7.30. I didn't have to navigate too far with the bike box and saved on the cost of parking. This trip is off to a great start. Now, Lee, an American airline oversized baggage, wouldn't let me watch, but assured me that he had 13 years of experience and that my bike was in good hands. Now, because I had gotten to the airport three hours before my flight and Lee didn't need or quite honestly want my help, I had a lot of time on my hands. So I listened to the crushing iron race preview from 2021 for probably the 16th or 17th time. Eventually, other passengers started showing up at the gate. Now, you may not believe this, but I'm actually a very shy person by nature. But when I get nervous, I get very chatty. I would not stand up during some serious interrogation. Across the terminal, I see a younger guy foam rolling his calves. So I go over to talk to him. It wasn't much of a stretch, but I asked if he was going to Chattanooga for the race. Turns out he's dealing with a similar ankle issue as me. We talk about how it's affected our run training and we discuss our swim times. He points out, which I already know, is that I need to work on my form if I want to get faster in the swim. He's already considerably faster than me, but plans to swim with even faster swimmers to push himself to get faster. Not a bad idea. I mean, it worked for me on the run. Finally, it was time to board. The flight was uneventful, The guy next to me didn't really want to talk. He was headed to Tennessee for his mom's funeral, so I put in my headphones and I listened to the podcast again. I navigated the airport pretty easily when we got into Chattanooga. I got my rental car while waiting for my bike and my suitcase to be unloaded. I headed over to my hotel to drop off my stuff. 
Now, I had booked a hotel 12 miles from downtown six months ago. And when I booked it, it was $60 a night. Apparently, it's $200 a night right now. Now, I don't know if that's because of inflation or because of the race weekend, but the the hotel attendant could not believe that I had gotten such a good deal. Now, my room wasn't ready, but they did allow me to put all of my gear in the room so that I didn't have to worry about it being in the car. And then I headed off to downtown. It was just a 20-minute drive with plenty of parking around the race venue. I had no real agenda. I just wanted to walk around the village. And there were so many people. But I did manage to pick up some things that I couldn't fly with and made sure to get a medium event shirt before they sold out. You'll remember that in Texas, I waited too long and I ended up with a small that my wife's not happy with. There were so many athletes competing this week that they had to split the names into two shirts. So I made sure to get the shirt with my last name on it. And I really like the Hoka shoes that are Ironman branded, but I just couldn't justify spending the money. So I made my way over to the C26 booth, the guys that put on the Crushing Iron podcast, and I got a shirt. I didn't see Mike or Robbie, but I would have loved to thank them for all the knowledge that they have shared. I got a message from Jim Risto. He wasn't too far away and was headed to meet me for dinner. We settled on some mac and cheese with grilled chicken just two blocks away from the Ironman Village. It was really nice getting to meet him in person. We had some great conversation. He was confident that the swim would be fast. There was a lot of chatter on the Facebook group about the weather and that the temp might be too high for it to be wetsuit legal. Because of the lack of rain this year, the Tennessee River might not be flowing as fast as it was in years past. We may or may not have a current assist. That with the fact that the Crushing Iron guys said that they believe the swim to be as much as 1.6 miles instead of the one4 that Ironman advertised. As you know, the standard distance is 1.2 miles, and those that follow me know that even though I have been swimming better lately, I'm still not what I would call a strong swimmer. But Jim assured me that I was worried for nothing. He had done the full before, and he said that he had had a fast swim. So after dinner, it was back to the hotel to reassemble the bike. I had bought all new Allen head bolts before I had left North Texas. It went together very easy. I made sure to torque everything down to specs. What's so cool about the speed concept is everywhere a bolt goes, it's printed with the max torque specs. Most everything is between five and six newtons, so the small bit driver that I got from Brad Kelly was perfect to travel with. Now, I had let out all the air in the tires for air travel, so I was unable to ride it to confirm that everything was shifting as designed, but I had tomorrow to deal with that. I fell asleep pretty easy, and then it was up in the morning at 6 a.m. local time. Saturday morning, I started with some simple yoga and some stretching. I showered, dressed in some comfortable shorts and my new C26 t-shirt, and got my ankle all taped up. I made my way downtown to meet the coffees for breakfast. Travis, Kim, and Brooklyn and I have been in a group chat for the last several months, so it was great meeting them in person as well. I also met Porphy, Brooklyn's boyfriend, who was racing his first 70.3, and cousin Aubrey, who was there for moral support. We did bail on the first restaurant, but we ended up over at Syrup and Eggs, and we had a great breakfast. The cinnamon roll pancakes were amazing. After breakfast, I met up with Jim and Kim Risto at Athlete Check-In, so I got the opportunity to meet Kim in person. And she presented me with one of her famous hand-painted rocks that she makes for all of Jim's races. It was the kind of gesture that I won't soon forget. 
From there, I went over to, to athlete check-in and I was actually able to check in a little bit earlier than expected. The volunteers were so nice. Having volunteered at Texas, I was even more aware of how important that role is and made sure to thank everyone with a volunteer shirt. Jim continued to assure me that the swim would be great, and I could tell that both Jim and Kim were having a little bit of FOMO walking around the venue. Jim is working through the next step in his journey, and just like he was confident that the swim was going to be fine, I am confident that he will complete his mission and make it to Kona. After walking around and soaking everything in, I got a text from Max Carr. Max is a listener of the show. He had traveled to Chattanooga with his wife, Maria, for his very first 70.3. So Max and I agreed on a location to meet, and as we were chatting it up and talking about strategy, I ran into Taylor from the DFW airport again. What a small world. We had talked about how to take advantage of the swim course, what was the best angle. I had gotten some advice from some locals who had done it in years past. After discussing some race strategy, we decided to uh, reconvene for the pro panel and then off to athlete briefing. So we hung around a little while, kind of milled around, talked to some people. Apparently, um, the pro panel was canceled. They hadn't notified anybody. They said it was because of COVID, but I wondered if it was because there was no shade where it was scheduled to take place and it was already getting really hot. So I met back up with the coffees. They had rented a house pretty close, and they had actually walked to breakfast and then over to the Ironman site. So we agreed to all meet up at their house to get our stickers put on so we could go ahead and get our bikes checked in. On the walk back to my car, I had two different people holler out, C26, in my general direction. Now, they were on the coaching program, and I had to explain that I only listened to the podcast, but it was still pretty cool. And as I was crossing the street, walking past me the other way pretty fast, I saw a familiar face. It took me a second to make the connection, and by the time I turned around, he was about 20 yards away. It was Tim O'Donnell. Tim was in Chattanooga for his very first race since suffering a heart attack at Challenge Miami. I would have loved to get a photo, but he was already too far away. But I was able to yell out, good luck tomorrow. He turned and responded, thanks, you too. That's right, Tim O'Donnell had wished me good luck. This deal was just getting better and better. So I found my way over to the coffee's Airbnb. We all got our stickers installed, we aired up our tires, and then we rode our bikes to check in and everything felt good. I might just have to add bike mechanic to my resume. After that, we drove the bike course. Lots of talk about Andrews Hill, and I'm glad that we did, but more on that later. Once we got back into town, Porphy's parents were at the house. They were all scheduled to go to dinner, so I went ahead and went back to my hotel for final preparations. I got everything laid out, mixed my nutrition, double-checked that I had everything that I needed for the morning, I spoke to Diana to let her know what time I would be leaving transition for swim start in the morning. I set two alarms to ensure that I was up in time, prayed for the safety for everyone racing the next day, and then fell asleep watching the pre-recorded athlete briefing on my phone. Okay, that brings us to Sunday morning. I slept pretty well, but 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time came early. I got up, I stretched my legs and arms, took a hot shower, got dressed, and headed to the race. I got to the event at 4.30, so just a few minutes after transition opened, I was able to park in a garage about one mile from the village. I got all my nutrition and my gear set out. I was able to borrow a pump to reset my air pressure. It was so hot that we had let air out to avoid an overnight flat in case the air expanded sitting on the hot asphalt. I also had time to take care of any last-minute bathroom business. 
I had learned early on to pack a small bag with wipes, toilet paper, and hand sanitizer, just in case. I was able to see Travis, Brooklyn, and Porphy in transition because we had all checked in so close to the same time, we were only about 10 or 15 spots down from each other on the rack. And I blindly made my way to the shuttle bus to the swim start. Having shuttle buses was nice because I don't think I could have safely walked without glasses in the dark for the mile and a half to the swim start. So I got off the bus and I followed the crowd. I elected not to take advantage of the morning clothes bag option and I only took with me what I was swimming with or what I was planning on throwing away, including my dollar store flip-flops that I've kept in my swim bag for the last year. I was determined to get in the water within 30 minutes of the age group start to avoid being on the run course any later than necessary. I managed to find a spot in the grass to sit down to avoid standing too much. I met a few athletes that were racing 70.3 for the first time, and then I realized my watch was still on central standard time and was actually an hour closer to the race start than I thought. I took my UCAN Energy and Edge Gel at 6.30 as expected, I got up to stretch and found a small group of fast swimmers that I could stand with. The sun was starting to come up, so I was starting to be able to see just a little bit better. Now, following Robbie's advice, I got my wetsuit on after the national anthem was played. Moments later, the cannon goes off for the pro men's and women's start. We start slowly moving forward toward the dock. I got my corrective goggles sprayed with my anti-fog. I always have trouble with them fogging over after about 20 minutes, and I was really hoping I didn't have to deal with that today. And as I was putting on my swim cap, it slipped off my hands and went flying in the air. Luckily, because we were packed in there like sardines, several people saw where it went, and I was able to retrieve it. Finally got my goggles and cap on while we continued to move forward. And then I saw Sam Crozier. He and his brother Billy were racing their last race for their Guinness World Record run, and he shared how amazing some of his recent race have been. Slowly but surely, we made our way to the dock. I was able to get into the water at 7.31. So far, my race plan is on point. The water felt good, and I was easily able to sight the first buoy. Within the last week, I had started practicing the crocodile eyes sighting technique, and so far was working out well. Even though I consider myself as not being a strong swimmer, I'm very fortunate to never have been in a panic situation. I vary between sighting every third and seventh stroke depending on how often I had to course correct. For the most part, I feel like I swam pretty straight and my Garmin data shows that to be true. Thankfully, the swim course is very easy to navigate. It's almost a straight line from swim entry to swim exit. There's no turns. It just veers a little to follow the natural shape of the Tennessee River. You swim under three bridges, so they are very easy to use as reference points if you lose track of the on-course markers. Because I started early, I did get passed by a few athletes, but I also passed several at the same time. I never got swam over, probably because the river is so wide. Another nice thing about the course. Before I knew it, I was under the last bridge and I was looking for the swim exit. As I swam to the stairs, there were plenty of volunteers grabbing hands and pulling us out of the water. I looked down at my watch, 38 minutes and change. So not to forget to start my watch, I actually started it when I was getting close to the front of the line. 37.56 officially and 111th in my age group. I set a PR for the swim. My race plan was intact and dang it if Jim wasn't right. It was the best swim I've ever had. 
how I felt in the water, how I was able to navigate the course, and in my overall time. The quote-unquote run to transition is the longest of the races I've done, but I was excited that they had wetsuit strippers. There was a designated section just before the ramp up to the street level where we plopped down on our backs and they pulled them off with what seemed to be little to no effort. But I bet at the end of their shift, they were exhausted. And just as I come into T1, I hear Kim Coffee holler out asking how the swim was. I managed to give her a thumbs up as I was running along. I made my way to the bike. Even without my glasses, it wasn't too hard to find. I had made sure to note before leaving for the shuttle what road to run down, and they were very well marked. I had decided the day before, because there were so many bikes, I had heard between 3,500 and 4,000, I'm still not sure, that I was not going to set up my bike with my shoes clipped in and run barefoot on the asphalt. I've done it before, and I'm confident that I can execute mounting my bike that way, but there was just too great a risk of stepping on a rock and starting my day with sore feet. So I turned on my Garmin Edge bike computer, got my heart rate monitor on, my tri-jersey shirt, my curved prescription glasses, and my helmet. I dried my feet, put on my cycling shoes, and headed to bike out. I made sure to fully clear the mount-dismount line and kept to the far right to get on my bike. I hit the lap button on my watch to record my T1, and I hit start on my bike computer. Now, I didn't notice my T1 time, I would later find out that it was 7 minutes and 33 seconds. Definitely not my fastest. Maybe I should have left my shoes clipped into the bike. It was a slow run in cycling shoes. Because I had done more research on this course than any other so far, I knew that the first 10 miles I needed to be patient. Most all of the turns and several railroad tracks are in the first and last 6 miles of the bike course. Once we got out of town and into Georgia, I dropped into Arrow and started to enjoy the view. My race plan consisted of me ignoring miles per hour and focusing on effort. I had set my Garmin to display heart rate, power, average power, cadence, time, and distance. My plan was to keep my power between 180 and 200 watts so as to not overbike and suffer on the run. Now, as you know, Ironman requires riders to maintain a six-bike length distance between you and the rider in front of you. That's what they call their no-draft zone. Very early on, I realized that because there were so many riders on course, there was no way that was going to be possible. Now, I didn't intentionally draft anyone, but there were several times that it seemed more like a fast group ride than an Ironman race. Because of the wind and the speed of the bike, and my new bike is fast, it didn't seem as hot as it actually was. But I made sure to stay on top of my hydration and nutrition plan. I had two water bottles behind my saddle with UCAN's hydration powder. I knew that I needed to have one down before the halfway point of the ride, leaving the other bottle for the back half. And I had two edge gels in my bento box. I would consume them at the one and two hour marks. I had two goo gels that I had planned to take on the half hour just in case. In hindsight, I should have brought another one for the two and a half hour mark, but lesson learned. Before I knew it, I was at mile 25 and getting ready for the famous Andrews Hill. It wasn't the hardest hill ever, but I don't like going into my small chain ring. And the new bike has a 54-tooth big ring, which is great for flatter roads, but made that climb a bit of a challenge. Because we knew what landmarks to look for, I was able to get in a good gear, carried as much speed as I could around the hard left, and started spinning up. 
I did have to drop down into the easiest gear on my rear cassette and stand for the climb, but I was able to muscle up the hill, passing a few athletes along the way. As advertised, a few others were walking their bikes up. There's no shame in that. I just didn't want to have to do it. The rest of the bike, I was constantly monitoring my effort, making sure to stay within my plan. Before too long, I was headed back into town and realized I was close to PRing the bike. I decided not to push hard and stick to the plan. I averaged 170 watts, a cadence of 71 RPMs, and a heart rate of 131. Not exactly the plan, but close. After syncing my bike computer to my phone and looking at the data, the thing that sticks out the most is that I had a 61 to 39% right-to-left power distribution. On the power, phase, and balance graphic, it looks like I do a better job with my right leg of pedaling down and through the bottom of the pedal stroke than I do with my left leg. So that is something I'll need to work on in the future. I turned in a 302.52 bike split, which works out to 18.6 miles per hour. Good enough for 123rd in my age group and the first time ever that I lost position after the swim, but still feeling that my plan was intact. I rolled up to bike in. I considered for a second time leaving my shoes clipped in, but decided the ground was still too rough to run all that way barefoot and the asphalt had to be really hot by now. So I got my bike racked, I hung my helmet on my aero bars and grabbed my shoes, which had my prescription sunglasses and my pre-rolled socks already tucked inside, ready to go. I grabbed my hydration belt, which had my race bib looped to it so that I could put on while running the exit. I also had pre-mixed a second batch of UCAN Energy that I poured into an empty water bottle and staged it in a Ziploc bag of ice under my bike area to try to keep it as cool as possible. Because I had followed my hydration plan exactly, I had to hit the porta potties before hitting the run course. All in, T2 took 8 minutes and 21 seconds, longer than T1 by 50 seconds, which will come to be important later. As I hit the run course, I quickly drank the UCAN energy and was mindful of the recon that I had done and my plan, which was to manage my pace, not to go out too fast and end up walking for long stretches. I can run a 145 half marathon, but after swimming almost one and a half miles and riding 56 miles, it's not the same thing. By this time, the sun was overhead and there was not a lot of shade. The Waco run course had the Cameron Park Hill, but I believe this course was harder. I did a good job of sticking to my hydration and nutrition plan. I had Yukon hydration in a flask behind me in my fuel belt and in a bottle that I was carrying in my hand. I planned to drink the handheld bottle first and ditch it halfway through the run course when it was empty. I had four goo gels that I planned to take every three miles. The run course is where my plan changed. Not going to say it fell apart, but I realized about mile four that I wasn't going to be able to run the entire course. So I decided to walk the uphill sections and walk through the aid stations. The volunteers at the aid stations were fantastic. I grabbed ice to hold in my hands to help keep my core temp as low as possible, and I made sure to focus on my breathing to keep my heart rate in check. The course is set up as two loops, with the first loop being seven miles and the second loop being five miles. After starting the second loop, I caught up with Sam and Billy Crozier. I ran and walked a short stretch with them. They were having a great race and looked to be having a great time. They let me know that they had seen Max Carr earlier, and he was probably already done. I would later find out that he finished in 5 hours, 30 minutes, taking 76th place in his age group. Pretty solid for his first 70.3. 
While Sam and Billy were grabbing water and ice, I decided that I needed to push on and stick to what was now my backup plan, set a 70.3 PR. I had been doing the math in my head all day and thought I was on track to finish sub six hours. I had a 40-minute swim, a three-hour bike, and I still looked to be close to a two-hour half marathon. As I made my way through the last aid station just before the last bridge back across the river and towards the finish line area, I decided to switch the screen on my watch to see my total elapsed time. I was at six hours and two minutes with just over a mile to go. I couldn't believe it. I felt that I was having a great race, and even up to that moment, I thought I had a chance of finishing respectable in my age group. At that moment, I had a choice. Given to my body, given to the fact that it was a hot day and walk the rest of the way, or thinking my Waco finish time was six hours and 12 minutes, I could give it everything I had. I could run as hard as I could and at least go home with a 70.3 PR. So I sucked it up and ran. When my Garmin is in multi-sport mode, it doesn't track my run pace by the mile as it does during run-only mode, but the Ironman tracker has my last run split at 8.17 per mile for the last four-tenths of a mile. I gave it everything I had. I actually felt as though I might throw up after I crossed the finish line. I definitely felt like throwing up when I discovered that my 6-hour, 11-minute, and 14-second finish was less than one minute slower than my fastest 70.3 ever. I missed a PR by 56 seconds. I had finished the half marathon in 214.35, 78th in my age group, a very respectable time, and one I know that a lot of people would be very excited for, and I am. But you might be thinking, Mike, if you had emptied your bladder while on the bike, you wouldn't have needed to hit the porty potty in T2, and you could have set a PR. You're right. I had planned to do that because we were so tightly packed on the bike course, especially the last six miles coming back into town. There was never enough room between me and the rider behind me where I was confident that they wouldn't feel the effects. In the end, I finished 101 out of 288 in my age group. Not the top 10% finish I thought I had trained for, but top 35% is nothing to be disappointed with either. I got my stuff packed up, changed clothes, got a delicious and well-deserved Oreo ice cream sundae and a chocolate dip waffle cone. I mean, I just burned 4,200 calories. And then I hung out at the finish line. I was able to see Brooklyn Coffee finish. She did great. Porphy had crossed earlier. He had a very fast swim and was actually very close to pro pace in the water. I heard he had a small bike issue and living up north surely didn't prepare him for the heat we experienced, but he managed to finish 35th in his age group in his very first 70.3. He's got a bright future if he wants it. Even though I wasn't anywhere near deserving, I made my way over to awards just to see how it worked. I got to see the pro awards, which was pretty cool. Several of the pro athletes hung around to accept their awards, which by the way the announcer was talking wasn't the norm. It was in the middle of the age group awards that the bad weather we had been hearing about finally showed up. Because there was lightning detected, the decision was made to postpone and have everyone seek shelter. I got the alert on my phone that Travis Coffee had finished the race. He overcame some cramping on the run that probably would have been easy to give into, but he's a fighter and a great role model for his family. It would take more than muscle cramps to take him out. I decided it was time to get to the car and head to the hotel. About two miles from the hotel, it started pouring rain. The kind of rain shower that makes it difficult to see anything. 
but I made it safely back to my hotel and only had to wait a few minutes for it to let up so I could get my stuff inside. I spent the rest of the evening catching up and responding to all the messages I got throughout the day. I traded text messages with Max and the coffees as we commiserated about the day. The coffees were making the eight-hour drive home after the race. I took a hot shower and started taking the bike back apart. I got a pep talk from my wife. Like most everyone else, she reminded me that just finishing is an accomplishment. I ate three-quarters of a medium pizza and fell asleep, and I got a good night's sleep. I even slept till 6 o'clock, well, local time at least. I'm not going to lie, I was really sore that morning. I got cleaned up, I stretched, I finished packing, and I headed to the airport. Because my bike box was two pounds under in Dallas, I decided to put a few more things in there to avoid having to pay the second bag fee. I held my breath as I set it on the scale, and I was relieved when the nice American airline baggage attendant said, just under the limit. And just like that, I'm back on plan. As I had three hours before my flight, I started making notes for this podcast. Who was I going to thank? How much detail is enough? How much is too much? As I started looking at my race splits, I noticed that this half marathon was one minute and 16 faster than it was in Waco. It really did come down to my transition times. So what's next? I'm going to take it easy for a little while. I need to let my body rest, my ankle in particular, but I will continue to do yoga and stretch. I will continue to do strength training and swim, just no running or backing for a while. Monday night, I traded text messages with the Coffees and with Nathan Jones. Brooklyn is suggesting Ironman Florida next year as Porphy's first full. I tried to sway them towards 70.3 Oregon, but that race is too far for them to drive and would be too costly to fly. Nathan, on the other hand, said he is in for Oregon. Augusta 70.3 was discussed as well. I have talked to Jason Sean from work. We have tentative plans to do the relay at Waco this October. Jace would swim, I would bike, and Sean would run. I really think we could finish between five and five and a half hours. There is a local Olympic triathlon in late July that's a possibility if I don't do the Xterra over the summer. So still lots of things to think through. Again, I want to thank everyone who reached out to me with support and encouragement. It means more than I can express. I really didn't know what to expect when I started this podcast, but it has far exceeded anything I could have imagined. If I could ask one thing, if you are enjoying listening to everyone's stories, would you take a minute and write a review on whatever podcast platform that you use? So that's it. That's my 2022 Ironman 70.3 Chattanooga race review. Don't forget, on the next scheduled episode, Scott Sugimoto returned to talk about his experience racing Ironman St. George this year. In his first full-distance race, he competed on the biggest stage. You will definitely want to hear him share his experience. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you have any questions, advice that you would like to share, or would like to be a guest on the show and share your story, you can email everydayironmanpodcast at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to follow on Instagram at Everyday Iron Man Podcast. Until next time, keep moving forward.